Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the coalition coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode three of the Organizing for Change podcast. Our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. I'm your host, Amanda Decker, and today I have the opportunity to sit down with Paul Zinni. Paul Zinni has been involved in the education field for over 20 years. He currently serves as Avon Public Schools Superintendent. He's served as a steering committee member for the Avon Coalition for Every Student, which is a coalition to reduce youth drug and alcohol use. And he's been instrumental in helping Avon achieve a reduction in youth alcohol use from 48% down to 19% over a six-year period. Paul is a champion for young people, and he's a real team player. So, Mr. Zinni, um, what makes your job so great? I know you're the superintendent of schools for Avon, and um, you have a great opportunity to influence a lot of young people and their families, but what makes your job so great? Why do you love getting up and coming to work every morning? Amanda, that's an interesting question, and it's not an easy one to answer, I don't think. I've been in education for over 30 years, and during that time, I've had the opportunity to do almost every different job that would be associated with education from classroom teacher to building administrator to central office administrator. I've worked from preschool through high school over the years and they've all been great experiences and I would say that I enjoyed every single one of them when I was doing them. But I spent the last 16 years here in Avon and I think one of the reasons why I love getting up and going to work every day is because I've grown to love Avon. It's my surrogate home. Um, the people here, the students here, the staff here are wonderful and I consider them family. And so having the opportunity to watch these young men and women grow up in front of my eyes, I would say is probably one of the best gifts that I could ever be given. As I said, I started here 16 years ago and so the students who I've been able to hand diplomas to over the last few years are students who started with me in preschool. And to remember them when they were three and four years old coming in excited and ready for their first experience at school and watching them cross the stage with a diploma knowing that they're excited to start their mm -hmm. next experience at a new school um, is just very rewarding and something that I've just absolutely love doing and yes I do love getting up every day yeah that's great and you talked about um, that you feel like this community is really a family is that something that you felt like you were influential in helping to create that feel or do you feel like you kind of stepped into something that already had that feel well I think that communities and organizations in general change with the times they change with the people that are involved with them and I'd like to believe that in some way I've helped to create a stronger family unit 
I do think that with Avon's size being only four square miles, that it's kind of like the TV show Cheers, mm -hmm. <laughs> showing my age, but you know, where everybody knows your name. You know, here in Avon, everybody knows each other, and that can be both wonderful and also a little bit overwhelming at times. But I think that over the last few years, I've had the opportunity to get to know all of the other administrators in the community, many of the parents in the community and the students, and as those relationships have grown, so has that feeling of family. Sure. That's something I was thinking today. Something you do really well is you build relationships with people. And so when you want to create change and you want to do things, you have those relationships to bank on. Um, our listeners are really all about how to create change in their community. They're looking for that. And just talk a little bit about why relationships are so important and some of the things that you personally do to help cultivate those relationships? Well, I guess relationships are important in a couple of ways. I think, one, I'm a social person. Anyone who's spent any time with me knows that um, it's hard to get a word in edgewise. I'm a talker, but I also like to listen as well. I love to hear other people's narrative, other people's stories. But if you're talking from a leadership perspective and creating a sense of change, change comes with buy-in. And there are certainly times that as a leader, I have to make a decision and it's not really about buying at all. There's an emergency, there's something very important. And as much as it would be nice to get everyone's opinion and to weigh all of those opinions, I have to make a decision for the safety and security of our students. Those decisions are few and far between. For the most part, when we're talking about systemic change, we're talking about something that's complex. If change were easy, it would happen automatically and no one would think twice about it. Change is complex and there are many unintended consequences and many variables that go into change. And if you don't take those into consideration, then you're dooming the change to failure before you even try to start. And the best way to look at all of those different aspects is really to have conversations with people, to gather all the stakeholders, to hear what their concerns are, to hear what their enthusiasm is about, and to build on that. You want to acknowledge people's excitement and you want it to grow, but you also want to acknowledge their fears and help mm -hmm. them to allay them. And so when you gather all of those pieces together, I think it helps with the process. And when people feel like they've had a voice and their voice has been heard, they're more likely to buy into the process. When they've helped craft the message, then they're more likely to deliver that message. Uh, and even when their message wasn't exactly the outcome wasn't exactly what they were coming into the conversation with. If they feel like their voice was heard, then they're more willing to change that first impression to get on board with the decision because they know that they've at least been heard and that there's a reason why we're going in direction B rather than A that they wanted to go into. That's really great information and input. Um, so when it comes to creating change, one of the things that we've been involved in together is changing uh, the outcomes of when it, addressing youth substance use. And I've been excited to see the numbers for Avon decline as people got together and really worked on this whole thing together. But it comes out of relationship building um, rather than just coming up. Anyone can come up with a plan, you know, but having the relationships and the people there to craft it really creates buy-in and um, creates, you know, end-all results with it's a significant drop for this community when it comes to uh, drug and alcohol use. And I think that's really important, Amanda, and I think to say that 
when you have a relationship with someone, you're more likely to be vulnerable as well. And the deepest, most significant change happens when people are willing to let down their God and to have mm -hmm. those really significant conversations and to talk about the vulnerability. If you just think to your own experiences, if you have a problem at work or a question that comes up and you're a little bit nervous about trying to find out how to solve it, you're more likely to reach out to somebody you feel comfortable with, someone that you feel will accept your vulnerability and you and not judge, mm -hmm. but appreciate your struggle. You know, that, that can I ask you the stupid question kind of statement that you know that you can ask that person. Right. Um, when you don't have that kind of relationship, you're very likely to not reach out and ask for help from somebody else and to not, and to struggle alone. And we know that those are not good decisions and that change doesn't happen that way. That's good. One of the things um, that I was thinking about is when it comes to the coalition model and the coalition kind of setup is uh, I've worked in a few different uh, towns so far mm -hmm. and I've noticed this really interesting thing that happens. Usually it will be the school houses the coalition and the town has a tough time buying into the whole coalition model or the town holds the coalition model and has a really tough time buying in, you know, having the school come in and work together. And I've seen that really work well here in this community. I've seen people from both sides mm -hmm. be able to get together and say, we can move past whatever differences. And I do think a lot of that has to do with the relationship building that you've done really well. But what could you say to somebody who's out there listening on there on the town sort of model and they're thinking, you know, we would really love to have the school be a bigger part of the coalition, how could we do that? What kind of advice would you give to that person who's listening? So if I understand your question correctly, Amanda, you're asking what the school could do to become more involved or kind of to what bring the, in others? Kind of what the, so I know some coalitions, they are a town-based model, so their right. grant funding is housed in their town, in the town, and they're really looking to encourage the school to be a part of the coalition and you know for whatever reason there's some barriers there but what could be done uh, to break down some of those barriers what could those people do to encourage the school sector to be involved in the coalition well I think anytime that you have a breakdown between groups there's a barrier there before you jump in and try to solve the problem the first thing you have to do is to look at the why I think too many times we prescribe a medicine for that ache or pain without really understanding what's causing the ache or pain. And I think it's the same with relationships. There can be a variety of reasons why there are barriers between one organization and another. In many towns, there's a struggle for the limited funds that the community has. And so where school systems tend to be the biggest budget in town, many other departments often feel deprived that mm -hmm. the school department gets all of the funds and they don't get the funds for their new building or for the renovations that they need or supplies and such. So one barrier could be around that funding war, or it could simply be around a time when somebody didn't feel supported by the other um, department mm -hmm. and therefore there's been a rift. So understanding why the rift happened first, I think is the, the the best way to begin building those relationships. Mm -hmm. Once you kind of understand where the rift is, I think it's important for everybody to, to hear other people. 
And so if I were on the town side and I were was having trouble getting the school involved, I think I'd, uh, the first thing I'd do is to kind of visit a few of the key stakeholders, whether it's the superintendent, the, um, the principals, and have a conversation with them about what are they seeing in the schools? Mm -hmm. What are their concerns? Administrators don't go into administration because we like balancing budgets and doing paperwork. We go into administration because we get to a point where we see the bigger picture as far as education goes. But that bigger picture always centers around the student. We're in it or we got into education right from the beginning because we wanted to make a difference in the, uh, in the lives of children. And so when you bring it back to that student as the core, as the center, I think that's where those conversations begin. So with the town side, we're seeing this. What are you seeing in the schools? Mm -hmm. How can we work together so that we can prevent these issues from happening in the town because we got to those students early on? Mm -hmm. And I, so I think having those very basic conversations, what are your fears, what are your concerns, opening the door in that way, and making small requests rather than large ones. You know, I think sometimes that people feel overwhelmed when there's a new group on the horizon. And we tend to go to the same people who always get involved because they do get involved. And so you're starting something new. And so you go to that same person again and you ask them to serve on one more committee or do one more task. And sometimes they feel like they just can't do anymore. So when you come from a perspective of we have one small um, task or one small request of you, if you can just do that for us, is much different than can you serve on the coalition's committee mm -hmm. meetings every month, all year long. Maybe right. serve on a subcommittee, work on one project, and then they become hooked. They see the mission, they understand the good work that you're doing, and then they get enthused and get more involved from that perspective. That's really great. Tell me how having a coalition in your community has benefited uh, the school and what you do. Well, I think our, our listeners probably already know that the reason why we um, went after this grant so many years ago was that the figures for the data that we were getting with our student youth surveys were staggering. We were looking at figures that were well above the state and federal average for our students' risky behaviors, and much of that centered around substance use and abuse, and it was very troubling. and very scary to think that our students were engaging in that kind of behavior and even one student engaging in that behavior is one too many but when we saw the staggering numbers we knew we had to do something and so seeking the funding from the federal government and building this coalition um, and recognizing you know that well overused phrase but it's so appropriate it takes the village to raise the child that it was really important to bring people together and to be honest about this problem I see sometimes administrators who are afraid to let the community know that things aren't going well because they're concerned that they'll be perceived as the problem. And so rather than addressing it, they try to hide it. Mm -hmm. They don't want others to think that they weren't effective in their leadership. But let's be honest, we're talking about children's lives. We're talking about, in some cases, the loss of life of our children and and that just can't be ignored and so we have to address the problem we have to identify it it has to be out there um, in neon lights for everyone to see that this is troubling and this is something that we all own and we all have a responsibility to um, 
to attack. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, by bringing those people together, I think that we've seen tremendous change in the community. And it's not, we're not where we need to be yet. There's still so much more work to go, but we have seen so much growth, so much progress. And I think that also provides momentum and you know, people have seen the successes and now they really want to do mm -hmm. more. That's great. So I'm hearing you say a couple of things that uh, vulnerability and trust in a relationship mm -hmm. um, and for people to be able to be honest mm -hmm. and say, here's what's going on. And I think it's great input for somebody who's sitting there saying, I would love to get you know, our school sector more involved to give them a small ask and then to be faithful for what it is that you said you were going to do, you know, follow through and don't be just another group that has a great idea and comes in and then they never hear from you again. Do your great idea and people will build off that success. So great thing. But you also have to recognize that there are people who will do that mm -hmm. and don't get discouraged. Mm -hmm. You know, when you cast a wide net, you're going to get, you know, a lot of things stuck in it and not all of them are the things that you want, you know, and so you pull the lobsters off the net and you throw the net back out again. Sometimes that happens and it's okay. People come in because they hear about the coalition or they, they have this um, sp specific issue in their mind that they want to see addressed and they come to you because they think you're a way of getting it addressed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can and you can really work with them and other times they're just not at the same place that the coalition is at and that's okay. Tell me yeah. what you do with uh, some of those challenges. So, I mean, working with a coalition, you're going to have challenges mm -hmm. no matter what sector you are. And just uh, what have been some of those challenges and how have you addressed them? Well, I think one of the challenges with coalitions, especially as they begin, is that there's often a desire to jump to the solution before we analyze the problem. We know there's a problem. We want it fixed. We all have our hypotheses. And... So we want to jump to the solution that addresses the hypothesis we have. But it's been my experience over the years, pouring through pages and pages and pages of data, whether we're looking at reading scores in third grade or high school graduation rates, that the problem is much more complex than one simple hypothesis. If it were that easy, we would have solved it long ago and moved on. Truly significant problems are usually very, very complex and require a great deal of thought and effort before we jump into it. And for too long, education has been especially guilty of this. We throw money at the problem by buying a new curriculum or giving the teachers a new professional development opportunity and, and putting all of this implementation in place and the scores still don't get better. And so it's the same when you're looking at children's substance abuse. We mm -hmm. know of some of those very enthusiastic failed initiatives. You know, I grew up in the days of this is your brain, this is your brain on right, drugs, any right. questions and, and commercials and things like that. And yet they didn't necessarily reap the results that we thought that they were going to reap. Mm -hmm. They seemed intuitively to be the right things, but they weren't necessarily. And so when you have somebody who comes in, and we've had lots of people who come to our coalitions with an idea, what we need to do is make sure that all of our kids are uh, engaged on Friday nights, you know, and so we, we need to find a place. We should open the gym or open this. Mm -hmm. And they're very enthusiastic about that. But we come back and say, well, 
are we really sure that our kids are engaging in this behavior on Friday nights and that's why we need to open the center or the gym up? And when you actually looked at the data, we found that wasn't the peak time when our students were getting involved with substances. It was, if I recall correctly, the four to seven mm -hmm. o'clock hours, you know, that I'm home from school, but the rest of the family isn't quite yet home with me right. and I'm getting into trouble. So it's a di it was a different problem than the solution being offered. Right. And they just didn't, they didn't match. And so I, th I think that's one of the biggest issues. And so yeah. you have to kind of re roll them back, offer the data, have those conversations. And in some cases, people listen. And in other cases, if you haven't bought into their idea, well, they'll take that ball and go home. I think what you just said was really great. Um, the problem ended up being that kids didn't have something to do after school hours before their parents got home. And the solution uh, that the coalition came up with was to do um, an ice cream social at the beginning of the year where they would let every student you know, right at the beginning of the year, know everything available to do after school and then work really hard at making sure every young person had a place to be after mm -hmm. school. And it's been impressive seeing uh, young people be involved in all of the incredible after school things that are here to do in this community. But again, it came out of doing some data and research and brainstorming and working with mm -hmm. young people, um, working with community members. Um, there's after school programs that are you know not school based that are promoted. Uh, and I think it's really great. It's a community effort, and it's had a direct impact on uh, use rates with youth. You know, Amanda, when you, we talk about data as well, we, we talk about those kinds of initiatives. One of the things that I had been pushing for from the beginning, and I was so pleased that we kind of started to look at the data in this way as well, was to start to find out why some kids chose not to get involved in mm -hmm. those behaviors rather than asking the ones who were involved what was going on. Many of our students had made very good decisions and understanding what the factors were that supported them in making those good decisions, I think was even more powerful data than trying to understand the complex reasons why someone made a bad choice. And so when we can take those factors, those protective factors, and try to help build those in for other students, that seems to be the best way or one of the important ways of attacking the problem. But it only comes from really kind of div digging a little bit deeper, peeling back that onion to get to the mm -hmm. real heart of the matter. That's great. So if you are an educator and you're listening right now to this conversation, what would you say to encourage that educator to get involved in a coalition? What could you say to encourage them? Um, why would this be something important for them to join or for them to take note of? Well, if there's an educator from our district that's listening, then that educator knows the message that I gave at our first day of school. And that really was about looking at our total students. We stand in front of the classroom and we provide well thought out, well planned, well executed lessons. And we hope and expect that all of our students will learn what we presented to them. But in fact, there are many variables beyond a well executed lesson that interfere with a student's success. When a student goes to bed hungry, they're less likely to pay attention in school. When a student is listening to their parents fighting, they're less likely to engage in school. When a student is worried about what will happen when they go home with a paper that doesn't, doesn't have an A on it, will someone strike them when they get home? They're not gonna pay attention. 
And when students are involved and engaged in substance abuse or in other risky behaviors, then their primary th thinking is not about school. And so those educators are spending a tremendous amount of time planning those wonderful lessons and they're not going as well as they should be going, not because they weren't well planned, not because they weren't well executed, but because the students came in less than ready to participate. And until we make sure that we address the very basic needs of students, Maslow's hierarchy of needs for those who have studied any psychology, that safety and security is taken care of, and our students are well cared for and are coming to us ready to learn, they're not going to learn. And too many of our kids have this in the background. And that's why our educators need to get involved. They need to, one, help the students who are already making bad choices to start to make good choices. And they need to help those students who may be inclined to make bad choices to not make them. That's great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And um, I hope that in the future we'll be able to have you on some other time again so we can dig into some more of these issues. But we appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Happy to help anytime. For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.